0: Favorite okay, Bibles this morning. We're going to be in Second Timothy, Second Timothy, Chapter One, and uh, looking forward to today. After uh, after the message, we're going to have some baby dedications, and uh, and it's so wonderful uh, all these uh, new babies we've had recently, and uh, and more on the way. And wonderful. Um, I was just thinking about Mother's Day and uh, uh, I've learned some lessons over the year of some things not to do. You may have the best of intentions, but guys, we don't have a very good execution sometimes. And uh, one, uh, one year in particular, uh, the dishes were all piled up from a big full day, and of course on Sundays they're so busy for us anyway, so I, I tell my wife, I said, you know, honey, it's Mother's Day, don't worry about doing the dishes tonight, they'll be there in the morning, <laughs> and. Uh, I, I thought that was a nice gesture, but uh reminds me of the guy that uh from Mother's Day wanted to do something sweet, so he bought his wife an iron. And so on Father's Day she got him an ironing board. <laughs> Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Last year I spoke a little bit on the the topic we'll look at this this morning and uh so if some of it sounds like repeat, I apologize. But it's, I just kept coming back to this text as I was praying over the message and praying over uh, uh, where, where we should go this morning. I was actually uh, this week studying different mothers in the Bible. And, uh, and I was thinking of just doing kind of an overview of several wonderful examples of mothers. I actually put one uh, thought that I had there in the bulletin this morning about uh, uh, the best advice a mother ever gave. When the Lord Jesus' mother told the servants there, Whatever he says, do it. And, uh, you know, I think about those that have uh, even fallen uh, prey to, to, uh, to the worship of Mary and those kinds of things. I, I think I like to look to the Bible and say, okay, well, if we're going to follow Mary, what did Mary say? She said, look to Jesus. She said, do what Jesus says. And uh, Jesus is the center of our attention, and, and he ought to be the focus. But as we consider this, uh, I, I want to bring us to, uh, to a young man by the name of Timothy, uh, whose name the book is named after. Paul wrote a letter to Timothy. He was a young pastor. And um, in 1 Timothy, uh, he was challenged, you know, hey, don't let anyone despise thy youth. People would look at Timothy maybe as a very young preacher just getting started. And he said, don't let anybody despise your youth. You know, be an example to the believers. Well, by the time 2 Timothy comes around, Timothy is very discouraged. Some believe at this point he was even considering quitting the ministry, walking away. And and in fact, it even starts off how how he was very mindful of his tears. In fact, in uh, 1 Timothy 1 uh, and in verse number uh, 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 Let's see. um, Yeah, verse number four, he says uh, how he was greatly desiring. Verse three, he says he was remembering him constantly without ceasing in his prayers. Verse four, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. And then he, verse number five, he says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that was in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also, I want to talk uh, just briefly this morning about the role of a model mother, what, what it looks like to have a godly influence in an ungodly society, and, and what a great role a mother has in that. And there's a word there, it 's become one of my, uh, uh, one of my favorite words in the Bible. I've really come to like it, and it 's the word "unfeigned." unfeigned." we don't really say that word often in fact uh, uh, sometimes you might hear the word feigned, he, uh, he, he feigns spirituality, he feigns maturity. And we might hear, well, to describe someone that's disingenuous, somebody who's, who's put on a show maybe, and they say uh, they're kind of feigning it, they're faking it. But uh, the word unfeigned, it, it literally means this, without hypocrisy, without hypocrisy, Uh, real, genuine, sincere, and as Paul was talking to Timothy here, he was challenging him this. He says, uh, you know, before he goes into some corrective things, uh, which he's going to deal with some correction where Timothy's thinking might have been off a little bit, he's encouraging Timothy, and he says, you know, there are some strong points that you have, Timothy. One of the things that is very strong that I see in your life is you are the real deal. You are genuine. You have an unfeigned faith, and, and, and I know I can say this without reservation because I know your mother, she had an unfeigned faith. And I know your grandmother, she also had an unfeigned faith. And so I am persuaded that you have that same faith that has been passed on to you. It's real, it's legitimate, it's genuine. And it's something that he was noticing in his life. And by the way, we have a great example here. If you're going to deal with somebody with some correction in life, uh, make sure that it's just not all correction. Paul goes in and he says, you know, there's some, there's some real uh, strong points that you have, Timothy. And I want to encourage you to keep going in those things. And then he's going to go on later and he's going to say, now here's some things you need strengthening in. You need some help in these other things. But I want to I help you to see, Timothy, that, 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 that you're doing a good job. You're on the right course. And before we get into those heavy things, I want you to understand, I see a real genuine faith in you. I see a real genuine desire uh, to serve God and, and so forth. Paul, he would, uh, uh, in his ministry, he would go from kind of place to place and city to city, and his desire was to go where the gospel had never been preached. And so in his first missionary journey, he was, he was, uh, he was going through places, and he'd, he'd go to places like Antioch and Iconium and Derbe and, and to a place, a place called Lystra. And, uh, and, and it was uh, there when Paul went to Lystra, that uh, um uh, there was a lame man and Paul healed him and people were uh, just wowed by Paul in fact they thought Paul and Barnabas were gods they thought they had come down and and they wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas and and instantly their response was no no we're just men get up don't worship us uh, uh, you know we're just men and and by the way that alone takes some character doesn't it you know maybe for a day I'd kind of milk it you know yeah you can you know uh, so you see where this thing goes but no, no right away said no no this is God's doing and and we're going we're here we're representatives of him and so so just like people do, uh, uh, they went from one extreme to the other. Okay, well, if we're not going to worship you and you're not gods, then we're going to stone you to death. <laughs> and, and they began attacking him. And so Paul and Barnabas, as they stood up and said, no, no, we're just preachers of the gospel. That's just who we are. Those unbelieving Jews were so envious that they rallied the crowd and they and, they, and then they, they, they drove, tried to drive him out of town, and they took out stones and they stoned him and, and Paul arose and, uh, and, and, and what's amazing is uh, uh, if, if it was us, probably many of us would say, well, they don't want to hear, they don't want to spend time with me, I'm not going to that city. But Paul was a little bit hard-headed, I think he got hit with the rocks one too many times and he gets up and he says, I'm going right back into that city. Paul, they're still there. They haven't even washed the dirt off their hands from throwing the rocks. And you're going to go right back in? And that's what he did. He goes back in. He wanted to go back in that city. He wanted to, to preach the gospel. He was bold. He was determined. Lystra was a very fertile ground for the gospel. And See, this is all backdrop of what was happening. Because when Paul went back the second time on his second missionary journey, not with Barnabas, but with Silas, he went back confirming the churches. As churches were started, many times he would leave them there without leadership. He was training. He was discipling them. And, and what would happen is, when they were left on their own without the apostle there to make all the decisions and, and to, 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 to teach them, certain men would rise up in leadership who's got, whom God's hand was upon, and the church would recognize that, and they became leaders in these churches. So he would go back and, and kind of confirm these leaders, and he would go back and he would, he would uh, see the way they were establishing and, and uh, maybe make some, some adjustments here and there, but he would go and he would encourage them. You guys are on the right track. In fact, at one time, he, he, he kept this pattern. At one time, he left Titus in the island of Crete for the sole purpose of ordaining elders in every city. There were churches. Now he's going and putting some leadership over those churches. And this was, a, this was kind of the model. And so as he goes back, he finds a young man who had now been discipled, and he was showing great potential. He'd been vetted by the leadership, if you would. He had been, uh, the, all the, the leadership of this church saw God's touch and God's hand on this young man, uh, by the name of Timothy. Yet Timothy became that, 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 that man, and it was due to people who had helped him along the way. People that had encouraged and people that had helped him, and, and, uh, and people like his mother, people like his grandmother. And I just want to show you how this made such an impact in the life of Timothy, uh, this model mother. When you, and, and, and a lot of it's going to help when we see the backdrop. Keeping in mind how Timothy was intru- introduced to the ministry. He saw a crazy preacher get stoned, left for dead, and come back to town for a soul like his. Uh, many believe that, uh, that Paul personally led Timothy to Christ, but no doubt he was raised up in this church uh, prior to following Paul and going with Paul on his journeys uh, to be put into the ministry. So as we look at his parents and the, and the backdrop of this, this climate here, why don't we uh, just have a quick word of prayer, ask God's help as we uh, unpack this text a little bit. And I hope it'll be a help to uh, parents. I hope it'll be a help to mothers and, and to all of us as we consider the society around us in the day that we live in today. Father, we do ask that you would help us. Thank you for this wonderful uh, example in a couple of godly uh, a mother and a grandmother who invested in a young man, Timothy, and how much we've learned and gleaned from these two books written to Timothy. And Father, I just pray that you'd help us now, help our mothers to not give up the fight. It is a fight. We're battling for the souls of our children. Lord, I pray that they did see that the reward is truly worth the fight. Help us all today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we live in a day that is really diminishing and putting down the role of a mother, a biblical role of a mother. Um, just recently, uh, I believe it was uh, last year, we had record low births in America. The average American family now is 1.6 children per family, to which I ask, what is a 0.6 child? But 1.6 children per family, and, uh, and, and part of that is, uh, is, is what's been placed on women, uh, and, and, and it's almost looked down upon, frowned upon, to put so much stock into motherhood. You know, oh, you're just a stay-at-home mom? I'm so sorry. You're so oppressed. Now realizing that that's probably the highest calling. In fact, I'm going to boldly say that today. I don't care if it's not politically correct. That is the highest calling you can have to raise the next generation for the Lord and, and, and to, to, to invest in them and to, and to instill truth into them. Charles Wesley, uh, one of the, uh, uh, of the Wesley brothers, Charles and uh, John Wesley wrote a lot of the hymns and and we're just powerhouses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said this about his mother. He said, he said, I learned more about God from my mother than all the theologians I've studied. From his mother. Isn't that interesting? And what we've done today is we've not only downplayed the role of the mother, but, but you consider adding to that the rise of abortion. Uh, in fact, we're going to call it, what it is, the rise of that we are murdering our children with taxpayer dollars. I can't help it. I'm sorry. We're murdering our children. The rise and the push of uh, of what we are calling alternative lifestyles, which are an abomination to God, and and, uh, and 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 going these directions, what they're doing is they're attacking the home. They're attacking the first institution. From the very beginning, God made them male and female, and for this cause shall man uh, uh, shall the man be uh, cleave to his wife and leave his father and mother, and the two shall be one. and And this was his plan from the very beginning. In fact, Jesus reiterates that even in the Gospels when they bring up the issue of divorce. He says, he says uh, uh, that Moses allowed them, suffered them to write a writing of divorcement. But he said, from the beginning it was not so. That is not God's plan. And so we have the breakdown of, of the home with all these society pressures. We, 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 we put this idea of, 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 of driving and, uh, and uh, uh, ambition. And, and by the way, I'm for ambition. I'm for education. I'm for all these things. The Proverbs 31 woman was a very hard worker. But you know, her first priority is the home, and the home was taken care of, and so she bought some land, and she made some investments, and she did some other things. And by the way, I want to say this about the Proverbs 31 woman, before all you ladies are discouraged, she had servants. That's important to take into account. She had servants. She had helpers. So what's going on today is people are getting married later and later in life and uh, his career and her career and all this. And then then it's almost like an afterthought that, oh wait, you know, we're almost past childbearing years. We should start thinking about children and they had enough time to slip in 1.6. You know, it used to be got married and started having children and, you know. I know this isn't popular, but, but let, let me just say, let, let's get biblical before we start looking at other things. Rather than looking at society and looking at what the society is telling us with all these things and, and trying to cram that into the Bible and making it fit, let's start with the Bible. The very first command given, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth reiterated after God uh, uh, flooded the earth and he, get, and he got Noah and, and his children. And, and what does he tell them? He says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And you know what happens? We tend to resist that simple command. What did they do in Noah's day? We're not going to spread out. We're not going to multiply and replenish the earth. In fact, let's come together and let's make a tower. And they resisted the very simple plan. So what did God do? He confounded the language, forcing them to scatter. Boy, I want to chase some rabbits. I'm going to leave them there, though. I'm going to let them go. Let's get back to a model mother. Motherhood. It is truly a glorious thing. It's amazing to me. You know, Mother's Day is one of those just hallmark holidays, right? Just kind of made up to make some money and to guilt trip some fathers and, <laughs> and children into and let's remember your mother but it's amazing that that we have to take this Hallmark holiday and say you know what it is a big deal and moms are under attack today I mean you talk about war on women that's exactly what this is to where you almost feel guilty or feel ashamed when you when you have children I me remind you, the Bible talks, mentions that children are a heritage of the Lord. And happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. A full quiver. But a model mother is one who demonstrates faith that is real. That's what we see here in the text, right? This unfeigned faith, it's genuine. It's uh, without hypocrisy. Eunice displayed an authentic walk with God. She didn't fake it. Listen, you can fake it on Sundays. I can fake it on Sundays. I can, you can fake it with your coworkers. You can fake it with even your friends. But you know where you can't fake it? At home. In fact, I believe that's one of the big reasons why we tend to lose our children because they see this two uh, facedness, this, this, two-facedness, this, this uh, feigning Christianity, when what they need is an unfeigned Christianity. They need an unfeigned faith put on display before them where the children will say, My parents' faith is real. You see, your children, they may walk out on God, but they should never escape the fact that it was real. They should never be able to escape the fact that, that what my parents had was genuine. And it was real. They shouldn't, have, they shouldn't escape it. See, they know the real you. Let me tell you about Eunice and Lois. They didn't have the kind of faith where they were faking it. Where there were one way in public and another way in private, they didn't have that kind of a walk. Their walk with God was real. You say, what was real about it? So the phrase that's used there was an unfeigned faith faith. We know the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And, and faith is, is, is really the reliance on the fact that there is a God that I cannot see. It's reliance on the fact that, that He is, that it's very evident that, that, that God is in the present. He's in the here and the now. He's not just a story that we read about that one day there was a God and He made everything, but now we're on our own. No, no. He that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Faith, trust in God, knowing who he is, knowing who you are before God. And that's what Timothy saw. He, uh, uh, could Timothy see God? No. But he could see his mom's faith. He could see his grandmother's faith. They lived it. He, he saw it day after day. And when they, when they would talk about the scriptures, they also lived the scriptures. When they would teach them, uh, teach him, they, 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 they talked about it. Hebrews 11, I just quoted a couple verses from there. Uh, We call it the Hall of Faith. Great examples of faith in the Bible. There are three women mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. The first one was Sarah, which always amazes me. The Bible says that Sarah believed God, that God was going to give her a child. Which is funny, because when I look back at the story, I, I seem to remember Sarah laughing when he was told that she was going to have a child. Isn't it amazing the things God chooses to remember? By the way, thank God, there are certain things God chooses to remember and certain things God chooses not to remember. There are sins and iniquities, will I remember no more. She had faith that God gives children. She had faith that children are inherited to the Lord, and through faith... Uh, This child came from her, and she had faith, believing that God was going to deliver. Moses' parents, uh, uh, Jochebed, his mother's name, had great faith. You know what she did? She hid Moses in an ark by faith. It wasn't an act of defiance to the Egyptian government. It was faith. That God would preserve him and that God had a plan for Moses so she hid him and risking her own life through faith, she thought, I know God has a plan for this child. By the way, how different would the Bible be had she gone along with what society was saying in that day? How different would it be if she went along with the mandatory abortion? Folks, there's nothing new under the sun. That's exactly what was happening in Egypt in that day. All the male children would be aborted. You say, I don't don't see that. Okay, let's call it what we're trying to call things today. It's a post-birth abortion. Which, by the way, several, several congressmen signed on for. Bible mentions a woman by the name of Rahab. Rahab's an interesting one. Why would she be listed there? Rahab was a harlot. Rahab was not even a Jew. She lived a life of ill repute, but, 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 but knew there was a God in Israel, and she trusted those spies, and, uh, and that they would keep their word, and that their God was the one true God, and she believed in the true God. What a great composite view of a mom, of a a woman. A a mom believes that her children come from God. A mom believes that that God has a great plan for their child. And a mom believes that no matter what society says, there is a God, and I'm going to raise my child for the cause of Christ. That is a mom. Just taking those three women from Hebrews 11. Eunice was someone who had an authentic walk with God. The Bible uh, mentions whose faith follow. You say, how do you follow faith? How do you follow faith? You follow what it looks like. You follow what was displayed. Timothy had uh, no blurry image because he saw his mom. He wasn't wavering. He, He saw a steadfastness. He saw the display that his mother gave. Not only did she display this walk, but she was not a phony about it. She wasn't just putting on a show, uh, uh, she was real. Paul used a very specific word here when he used the word unfeigned. We, we've already defined it, but, but scholars have searched a lot of the ancient writings in the, in the Greek language, and they've found it, that word, to show up just a couple of times in ancient Greek writing, apart from the scriptures, and you know what you find? you find it all throughout the scriptures. It's, it's like the Spirit of God inspired Paul to use this very specific word, to describe their faith, that, that he's not putting on a show, and it's used some other places in the Bible. Romans 12:9, "Let love be without dissimulation. Love people, don't fake it. Dissimulation; it needs to be genuine, authentic." Second Corinthians 6:6 6, 6 talked about a love unfeigned uh, toward the brethren. Love unfeigned. 1 Timothy 1.5, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. 1 Peter 1.22, seeing you have purified your soul and obeying the truth through the scriptures unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Hey, you know how we ought to love each other? Genuinely. Without faking it. We, we put on, don't we? Love you, brother. By the way, if unfeigned faith is not something you necessarily uh, can, can, can grab a hold of, but it's something that is displayed. Would you not say that unfeigned love is also something that you would have to display? The Bible talks about secret love. Your love towards somebody should not be a secret. It says that open rebuke is better than secret love. Did you know it's better to openly just rebuke somebody than to love them and not show it? love unfeigned faith and love and faith and love these are the two words that, that the word is connected to let it be real i wondered would god use the word unfeigned to describe me would god i'm just talking about god's assessment of me we can fool each other what would god's assessment be would he say here's a man that has unfeigned faith Here's a woman that has unfeigned faith towards me. Maybe that's why Proverbs tells us that a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Why? It's the mother whose hand rocks the cradle, who spends a great deal of time with the child, and when a child is left to himself, it's the the mother that has neglected her responsibility. The mother is brought to shame. Timothy's mother was unfeigned. she wasn't a phony her faith stood in a very antagonistic society you see we can look at it very easily and say uh, well you don't understand the day that we live in it's so different than what they experienced it's so different than what timothy had to grow up in or when paul was writing the scripture that first century it was so different i don't know You know, we can look at things. You just didn't have to live today and deal with things like the internet, having to teach our children how to maneuver through that. I don't know if you've noticed, but there is a lot of garbage for the little bit of good that's on the internet. That's a big part of our child rearing is teaching our children how to handle that. Yeah, they didn't have to deal with the entertainment that we have today and the, the filthy movies that come out of Hollywood and, and all these things are going, on. They, they didn't have to deal with all that, oh really? I think about that first century, you know what they did for entertainment? They slaughtered people. They made people fight with animals. They made people fight each other to the death. Folks, this is the same Roman Empire. You've heard of the Colosseum, you've heard of gladiators, you've heard of these things, Right? They throw Christians in there. This is that Roman Empire. In fact, she had to deal with the people around her stoning the evangelist when he came to town. You guys haven't had to face that. You see, we're not here wondering, boy, I wonder if the authorities are going to break in and stone our preacher today. We're not thinking that. In fact, the prevailing religion in her area was the worship of Jupiter. Not God. You see, today we can still go around and, and if people at least know the idea of Christianity. We still do live in a nation that the predominant religion, at least by profession, is Christianity. Things really haven't changed much. She lived in a godless society. The same problems. She was, uh, she was strong in the face of adversity was a woman committed to teaching her children the Bible. Did you know that Timothy's dad was a Greek? He was not saved, and everyone knew he was a Greek. He must have been someone that was notable in the society, someone that, uh, that was maybe prominent, uh, maybe, maybe a soldier. But everyone knew that Timothy's father was a Greek. And what's interesting is when Paul took Timothy in, into the ministry, you know what one of the first things that they did Paul took Timothy to get circumcised. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Timothy was a Jew, raised by a Jew. And that's one of the very first things, in fact, that's the first thing, really, you do for your, for your male child as a Jew, is you take him. It was, a, it was a religious custom, a religious ritual. You do not even think about not doing that for your child if you were a Jew. So here's the question, why did Timothy not get that taken care of when he was a baby? Or better yet, why did his mom not get that taken care of, being a faithful Jew herself? Dad mustn't have allowed it. Dad mustn't have allowed them to, uh, him to identify with his mother's religion. Dad wouldn't have allowed him to go to uh, Sunday school. Dad wouldn't have allowed him to go to, uh, uh, to, to, to the activities, if you would, down at the, the local synagogue. Uh, 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 but, but you know what she could do? She could teach her boy the Scriptures. She could teach him the Word of God. And that's exactly what took place. In fact, uh, 2 Timothy 3, verse number 14. Um, you get the right chapter here. And continue in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now, of course, Paul is talking to Timothy and he says, I want you to continue in what you've been taught. You've learned some things. And I want you to continue because you know the testimony of the one who has taught you. No doubt talking about himself. But look at then the next verse. He says, that from a child. Wait a minute. Paul was not there when Timothy was a child. From a child thou was known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. So if Paul was not there when Timothy was a child, who was it that helped Timothy to see the scriptures which made him wise unto salvation? Mom taught him the word. Mom taught him the Bible. She still trained him. She still modeled it. She still displayed an unfeigned faith for him. It was real. Which tells me this, when it says continue the things which I was heard, someone taught him along the way, but here's the key, a foundation is required. A foundation is required. You know why some people don't uh, get saved the very first time in the gospel? They don't have a foundation to build that upon. They may have to hear it a few times to kind of lay the groundwork, that foundation, for them to understand and to receive the gospel. Now listen, uh, listen very carefully to this. The subject of early education is most vital because it provide, not only provides information, but it's also the lens by which all other information is viewed. Let me say that again. The subject of early education, early education, like before they even start school, is, is vital because it not only provides information— But it's the lens by which all their information is viewed. There's a reason why the Catholic Church set out to start free schools. They said, give us your children for 12 years, we'll have them for life. Because that becomes the lens by which all their information is viewed. That is why the very first reading books that your children get with colorful dinosaurs on that, starts off with this phrase. Millions of years ago, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, and now you have the framework for evolution with just those few words. Folks, it's called brainwashing. It's very easy to do, actually. But it becomes a framework by which you view everything else. And so they've got you. And now what we do is we have Christians saying, well, there's got to be a way we can kind of pair them together. Why? Because they're hooked. They're stuck on this lens that they're viewing everything else through. They're stuck. They can't get past it. You say, well, so what are you doing? Are you trying to, aren't you trying to brainwash the children? And the answer to that is yes. We're trying to wash them in the water of the word we are trying to brainwash our children we are trying to give them a lens by which they will view all other information that the Word of God is truth the Word of God is sure the Word of God stands Jesus prayed to the Father sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth let God be true and every man a liar so when we come to the Word of God we come with the, the the disposition that everything I'm reading in here though I may not understand it is true that's the starting place that's the lens, and if, if all I get into my children's heads is that this is the lens by which we view everything else, I will say, I've succeeded. The rest can figure itself out. Thy word is truth. Interesting, I mentioned Moses' his mother earlier. Moses, uh, in Hebrews 11, 24-26, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt, for he had uh, respect unto the recompense of the reward. Where did Moses learn about the people of God? Where did Moses learn about this? Yeah, I'll tell you this: It was not from Pharaoh's daughter. It was not from Pharaoh. uh, Moses going to the best schools in Egypt, because that's where he was trained. He learned it on the knees of Jacobed. his mother, if you know the story. Moses, uh, Pharaoh's daughter pulled Moses out of the river. I'll name him Moses, for he was drawn out of the Nile. And she thought, I need someone to nurse this baby. And God, in his sovereignty, aligning everything just right, had one of the friends of Jacobed, who knew the story, knew who the mother was, said, well, I know a Jewish woman. That, that, uh, that uh, uh, can can nurse this baby. Well, go get her. So now she had given up her son. She has the privilege now of nursing her child. Now in those days, it, it was it wasn't uncommon to nurse the child for, for even several years, up to five years old. And so every day, she would uh, that child would sit on her lap. She's telling him the story of Abraham. Of Isaac, of Jacob, of the promised seed, Adam and Eve, as he gave the promise to Eve that the that that her seed would crush the serpent's head, and and uh, and that that we were a chosen people with promise that God promised a seed, God promised a land, God promised a blessing and a nation, and, and these these uh, these covenants of God to the people of Israel, and and uh, and knowing who he was, and so from for just a couple of years in his life, that began the framework for which all the schooling of Egypt and all that training and everything uh, entered. Into his mind for God to use him 80 years later to bring his people out of Egypt? Don't underestimate the importance of those early years. It becomes the framework. By the way, if you discipline right in those early years, you're not going to have to discipline much in the later years. If you don't discipline in those early years, you're in for a headache. if you knew what you were giving uh, if, if you knew what you were giving your child at four and five uh, oh I'm sorry if you, if you knew you were giving up your child in the case of Moses and his mother if you knew you were going to give up your child at the age of four, age of five you you'd be giving him over and that's all the time that you have to invest don't you think you'd be praying a bit don't you think you'd be teaching a bit? I only have four to five years to give this child everything I can offer him. See, we think it's short time when we think, man, eighteen years and done, and how quick the time goes. And those who have raised kids, I can already see nodding. Yep, how quick, how quick it goes. I had a, a kind of an awakening a couple of years ago. When I counted how many summers I have left with my daughter. Just turned 14 this last week. Got four, maybe five summers left with my daughter. What have I imparted in her? What have I given her? You ought to be praying, you got to be investing. Never underestimate the teaching at a young age. What's your plan? How was the foundation laid? How was the foundation strengthened? And then were they assured of it? He says, continuing the things which thou hast learned, the things that were taught, been assured of, that that the, you strengthen that learning, and knowing of whom thou hast learned, uh, uh, do, do they see the example laid out? Do they see that understanding? It says in Deuteronomy six is probably the greatest chunk of scripture for parenting. If you've not read it, if you're not committed it to memory, if you've not put it in you, parents, you got to get there. Deuteronomy six. And it talks about, uh, uh, fearing God and it talks about his commandments and his statutes and his judgments. And here's what it says. You shall talk about them, uh, when you're, when you're lying down, when you rise up, when, you know, when you're going about your day, you're going to put them on the walls of the house. You're going to bind them as frontless, peon eyes. You're going to, you know, and the, the point that it's making is, is, is you're always going to keep the word of God, the truths of God, the lessons from the word of God before you. And the more you've got it in you, the more you understand these principles, the more you start seeing them played out in life. And then you, you take those and you're very conscious and you're very aware, passing on life's lessons to your children when you're about your day. I don't know if you've realized, but there are biblical illustrations everywhere if you're looking for it, if you're instilling those truths into your children. You see, here's the idea from Timothy's perspective. Mom, Mom taught me what was true, and I watched her. There's a convicting verse in Proverbs that says this, My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. See, the first part that we love, son, give me your heart, give me your heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. You know what we're so bad at as parents? Do as I say and not as I do. We're so bad about that. He says, give me thine heart and then watch me because I'm going to show you how to walk with God. Give me your heart and watch what unfeigned faith looks like. See, her faith was real. A foundation is required and then fruit remains. One of the toughest things is to lay a foundation and then turn them over. Hand the children over. You know, the reality is, parents, we don't raise our children for ourselves. Now, what I would like to have done, what I would like to see happen is that uh, my children never leave the house. They would grow up, and maybe they will leave the house and maybe get a spouse, and, and uh, you know what, but, but they better be within like a mile. So, so I could see, so I could see grandkids, and I could spoil them, and send them back, and love on them. The Bible says, describes children as arrows, arrows in the hands of a mighty man. And it, and it carries some ideas. When you launch an arrow, you are launching it into another time. Most of, for most of us, our children will outlive us. And they're going to be in a time that you and I do not know about. In fact, if you, if you see the direction we are going, boy, all the much more we need to be instilling character and, 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 uh, and conviction in our children because their faith is going to be tried unlike our faith was ever tried. Society is going to go against them unlike society ever went against us. And if we've gotten weak with the eases and the blessings of America, then let me just say, all the more we need to be praying, we need to be instilling the truths of the Word of God into them because they may very likely suffer for the faith, and we are sending them out into that time. But when you launch an arrow, you're also sending it into another location. I would love it if my children lived down the street from me. But the reality is if God sends them to Fairbanks or sends them to Africa, I'm not raising them for myself. I'm raising them for Him, and we have but a short time. Be diligent and be consistent in the time that God's provided there's a window and it is small it's very small be diligent no one has ever said you know what I really regret having spent too much time with my children you know I really missed out on some promotion opportunities I really missed out on uh, advancing my career because I Quite frankly, I wasted a lot of time spending too much time with my children. No mom's ever said that on her deathbed. No parents ever had the regret that they invested too much in their children, that they spent too much time. But how many times have we heard, I spent too much time chasing things that didn't matter, and I squandered the time with my children. I spent too much time chasing the almighty dollar or chasing with whatever it is that, that was driving you and I missed raising my children. I missed investing in them. I missed that time. We need to be diligent. He had a real godly influence, Timothy did, his grandmother and his mother in an ungodly society without the help of a godly husband. In essence, spiritually speaking, she was a single mom. And she stood. And she taught Timothy, who would be a powerful pastor one day. Taught him to love God. Taught him to have a faith that is unfeigned, without hypocrisy. Genuine, real not all about you, but how we need some genuine, God fearing uh, people in the day we live in. You ever just get tired of just the fakes? Ever get tired of people that are just putting on? When you come across someone that you just look in their eyes and, and the way they conduct themselves, you're like, this person's the real deal. It just takes you back. It's sad that that's not the norm, is it not? They speak of the days when you can make deals on a handshake. And I say they speak of the days because I never saw it. Make a deal on a handshake. A business deal. Today it requires a stack of paper this high with 11 or 10 font. Why is that? because people aren't real. Everyone's got an angle. Everyone's got an agenda. There's no integrity anymore. So it comes back to this. Parents, moms, dads, got to be real. Now, if, I want to say this. If the disingenuous aspect of it is this, that I, you know, I put on at church or I put on around others, but at home I'm a monster, that does not mean Just be a monster everywhere you go, so at least you're consistent. That means fix the part that's wrong. You see, I think we ta- we, 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 many of us have the right analysis. The, there's, some, there's a disingenuous aspect. And what ends up happening is church becomes a church of Pharisees. Everyone's just kind of putting on a show, and, and we're having our, like Jesus, when he assessed those Pharisees, they have their public prayers, and they have their their, their, their showy giving, their offerings, and, and all the things that they would do is all just for appearance sake, It was all for a show. And we say, well, that's wrong. So what we do is we, 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 we turn Christianity into this thing where it's just mediocre, and it's just so casual and so it doesn't stand for anything because we think well at least it's real no no no. let's strengthen the things that are lacking and be real christians all the time we all right i like that word i hope you learned any word today unfeigned faith unfeigned love unfeigned walk with god Let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to get ready for uh, some um, baby dedications this morning.